Daily Drive is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Find out what Reynolds is up to in the digital retailing space by visiting reyrey.com slash retail anywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash retail anywhere. I'm Jamie Butters, Chief Content Officer at Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive. If you're in the auto industry, and especially if you're involved in the retail end of the business, you can't help but notice the tremendous amount of activity in the buy-sell space, or what other industries tend to call mergers and acquisitions. There's been so much happening, and so much interest in it, that we at Automotive News are starting a new monthly page in the printed newspaper devoted to buy-sell coverage. We're calling it Done Deals, and it debuted in today's issue. There's also a new newsletter of the same name on the topic, and if you'll pardon my brief plug, it will be required reading, not only for dealers and brokers, but also the lawyers, accountants, and other advisors involved in these transactions, which are life-defining moments for the people involved, especially those selling a family business. In recent weeks, we've been examining in the pages of Automotive News the convergence of forces that will challenge dealers well beyond the current pandemic-powered shortages namely the onslaught of electric vehicles and their dubious profitability, threats to franchise protection laws, and myriad challenges related to digital retailing. My guest today, esteemed buy-sell consultant Mark Johnson, acknowledges those threats, but also raises several other important ideas that are leading some dealers to exit the business amid this current wave of consolidation, such as the risk that capital gains taxes could jump, even double, and the power of example set by Brian DeBoer, the CEO of fast-growing Lithia Motors. We reached Mark at his office in Enumclaw, Washington, just outside of Seattle. Hello, Mark Johnson. Welcome to Daily Drive. Hey, Jamie. How are you? Good. Glad to have you. Thank you. So uh, tell me, I mean, when I look, it looks like an extremely active uh, buy-sell market, uh, is it is it is this unusually busy and and what is what is going on these days? But I you know yeah I think uh, it's certainly busy in larger um, transactions and, and I think a lot of that's probably has to do with Brian DeBoer and his thought process with with Lithia and and uh, you know we've done a lot of business with him since you know for the last twenty years and we've done some transactions with him this year. We're getting ready to complete a large transaction in Seattle with him here at the end of the month. And I think that, you know, it's just got, you know, larger dealers who maybe have hung around um, longer than they wanted to sort of their attention. And, you know, they have some interest in if this is the right time. I think the tax piece has a lot to do with it. So I think there's a lot of, I think there is, I think it's like a perfect storm, Jamie. There's just a lot of things sort of coming together that are getting, you know, dealers to think about, hey, is this the right time for me to do something? And I mean, I've seen the buy-sell market do this for 20 years, even during the recession. This is just a little bit different. Well, yeah, it does seem like there are some things that ebb and flow. There's some uh, some cyclical, you know, or, or one-time items, you know, but also some kind of systemic and transformational things happening in the industry. We've been writing a lot lately about the popularity or the the plans, at least, uh, for increasing popularity of, of EVs, uh, which electric vehicles that put some extra burden on dealers, they need to make more investment up front and 
maybe some of the profit opportunities are less certain uh, than they have been in the traditional business. We've got, you know, a lot of states looking at eroding the franchise protections for dealers, as well as the change in digital retail, you know, the what Amazon has done to retail and what that is doing, how that's playing out in the auto space, which doesn't mean you're competing with Amazon, but there are a lot of new challenges around data protection, data ownership, uh, what works with the dealer or with the brand and, and, and what doesn't. How do all those things uh, come together? It seems like dealers always say, you know, there's never been a better time to buy a car, but is now the best time to sell a dealership? You know, that's, that's such a great question and one that we sort of wrestle with all the time. What I found in the last 21 years of doing this, no dealer ever sells just for money. There's always an underlining reason. If the dealer is only interested in selling because of what he thinks he can get, there's always something in the deal that, you know, they're unwilling to uh, be flexible on and you have to be flexible and buy, sell. So it's typically, you know, we use a lot of different acronyms, you know, death, divorce, despair, or, you know, and those can all, all be different things, but there has to be a secondary reason. And I think what's happening is there's some larger dealers that see, you know, their, their deals may have been hard to get out of just from a financial standpoint. Mm. Um, and, you know, now they're seeing like, you know, like we talked about with Brian DeBoer, who's, you know, been very active for Lithia. Um, you know, and I think it's got a lot of people thinking it's just, it's sort of like car dealers activity begets activity. And so I think, um, when you get someone like Brian out in the market buying, you know, other, it, it gives, it creates a lot of confidence for other dealers that are thinking about buying something, but it also um, gives the impression that, Hey, this might be a really great time to sell, you know, with the, all this um, smoke with the tax laws and, you know, what may be poss possibly there. And then the profits are huge, but everybody knows that, you know, they're not really sustainable. But I think they like looking at on the bottom of the line and the deals that they're looking at and on their own statements. And they think, hey, my statement looks great. There's a lot of activity in the market. There's a lot of cash in the market from consumers. Grosses are up. So I think there is, even though COVID has been, you know, something none of us could ever even possibly imagine. I think in the automobile business, there's just sort of a, you know, very much a very hopeful atmosphere, you know, growth and profitability and you know, it may, it may be, you know, some false optics, but I think, you know, it's like just a combination of things that are driving both sides. I know it's kind of convoluted, but it's a, it's a, there's a lot of detail, you know, right into Absolutely. why people do this. Yeah. No, one of the things, one of my favorite things about dealers is their incredible optimism, uh, <laughs> regardless of what, uh, when things are good or when things are bad, they. Yeah. It reminds me of that fake newspaper thing that said world ends soon. Dealers optimistic with the meteorite in the background. <laughs> And that's true. That's what I love about auto dealers also is, you know, they just figure, hey, I've been through the recession. I've been through this. I've been through that. My dad, my grandfather have been through this, that. I'm going to get through it. Bring electric cars. I'm going to make that happen. Franchise issues. I mean, they're just, there's a, they're just pioneering type of people. And so they don't really view obstacles. And that's one of the things I love about auto dealers. Yeah. Well, let's dig in a little on the Lithia example that you brought up because that is a really fascinating company. They are growing so fast and have 
you know, really ambitions that we've never seen in this industry. The idea of being a $50 billion or even potentially a $100 billion company, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, with nationwide or continent-wide uh, footprint. Uh, but we were talking offline before the before the show about how you know Lithia's stock is doing so well. Uh, it sort of feeds, it keeps feeding the system of them uh, buying buying stores and then having more money to buy stores with. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we completed the sale of Planet Honda to Lithia here a month or so ago. Um, and a client that we'd had for a long time. And, and, uh, and of course, I've done business with Brian for, you know, many, many years and have a lot of experience with him. I guess what I would tell you uh, about Brian sort of compared to his competitors is Brian came up as a retailer, worked in one of the dealerships with their family and then has worked on the M&A side. So although Brian's the CEO of the company, Brian is, has an M&A brain. So he's and when you do a deal with Brian, he's very difficult for other people to compete with. Brian knows what stuff's worth uh, intuitively. He makes decisions quickly. He does exactly what he says he's going to do. He doesn't back out. He doesn't continue to go back and forth. And I've had experience with all the public companies, some, some better than others. But um, Brian is a dealer first. And so when he's dealing with auto dealers that are potential sellers, he knows exactly how he wants to do a deal or be treated in a deal. And that's how he handles these transactions. And so it makes it, you know, he's created a lot of confidence, not only in the, in the, in the capital markets, but he's created a lot of confidence in deals that he's gotten done that have closed that are larger deals that seem, you know, hyper complex. Um, so he's a very difficult guy for other acquirers to compete with because he doesn't have issues with speed or decision-making. He knows what stuff's worth. It, does, it takes him very little amount of time to understand. He doesn't mess around with small stuff. He gets to a contract quickly. So he's really perfected this acquisition piece. And he's done a lot of great work on the disposition piece. So, you know, and I have a lot of experience with him doing deals. And, you know, one of the, one of the larger deals I did, Brian was the only one showed up at the closing and did all the numbers on his, his uh, iPhone. and corrected my client's CPA on $20,000 that was in the, that he, that he was getting overcharged. So uh, Brian's an anomaly for sure. And, you know, he's a real asset to that company and, yeah. and he's given the market a lot of confidence to, you know, for buyers that are, or sellers that are bigger to sell and, you know, and sort of created this, you know, river of deal flow that he's getting, you know, just because of his reputation, which is helping everybody. So. Yeah. Well, but whenever, as we see in across industries, when, and we've seen it in the auto industry and uh, other, even other parts of the auto industry, the automakers and suppliers, but uh, once, once one big player starts growing through acquisition, uh, the others tend to follow, you know, if they're, they don't want to get left behind, they don't want to be uh, outflanked. And it can can draw others into into the market and push push prices up even higher. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, 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 and it's easier. I mean, it's a it, it's sort of more complex than that, right? Because 
when you when you trade at 20 times earnings and you buy at six or seven or eight, you, you double your money every time you close a transaction. So you have a lot of motivation to get deals done and grow your company. And it seems like growth begats growth, right? So as long as he continues to grow that top line, do deals, the stock is supported, profitability increases. It's a it's a self-sustaining. And you know, it it's taken them a long time to get there. And he's been through tons of ups and downs, but you know, extremely bright, intuitive guy who understands, you know, hey, this is how this is going to work. And, you know, I don't know all of his deal flow, but I'm sure it'd be shocking to all of us, you know, what he said yes and no to, especially probably what he says no to. And I think he's really helped a lot of auto dealers owe him a lot because he's created this, you know, and giving people an opportunity to, you know, that they can successfully get out at a number that they think is, is valuable. And like you said, there's a ton of, um, you know, things that create doubt, you know, or create angst in the automobile business with sort of changes, like you said, with franchising, EV, um, you know, everything that's going on right now, a lot of people just don't tolerate that sort of change very well. And they feel like they're falling behind and they just exit the business. Yeah. So it's perfect storm. We'll be back for more with Mark Johnson after this. As online experiences exploded this past year, it was clear dealers needed an approach that kept them in business for the long term. Chris Walsh, Casey Edwards, and Dave Bates, Top Reynolds executives, sat down to discuss today's digital retailing landscape. Here's an excerpt from that roundtable discussion. So what are dealers trying to do to get this fully online and online to in-store experience? I mean, that's a great question. And honestly, it's, a, it's kind of a hard one to answer because retailers are kind of defining and using digital retailing differently. You know, to some dealers, it's selling a car. To other, it's sales and F&I. And they, they tend to be approaching it in chunks versus, you know, kind of a holistic, holistic approach. And then you end up just focusing on one or two things when you need to focus on, you know, more of a big picture. Digital retailing is dealership operations, period. Reynolds' Retail Anywhere approach focuses on streamlining dealership operations and improving profitability. For more information about this big-picture, holistic approach, visit reyrey.com slash retail anywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash retail anywhere. So you mentioned also uh, the concerns about the possibility of a, a capital gains tax increase uh, under President Biden. I, I don't know that I believe that any deal is going to get reached in Washington. Uh, but clearly, I mean, you're you're there on the front lines talking with these guys. And and that's something that's definitely weighing on on a number of, uh, of owners. Isn't it? Yeah, I think that, you know, there's there's been this general consensus that if I can get out this year, I can escape, you know, whatever Biden's capital gains will be, we've heard that it will be retroactive till April. I'm not, I don't know if that'll happen. We've heard that the rate will be, you know, close to double its current rate, you know, ordinary income rates. We don't really know what it's going to be. Nope. But everybody thinks there will be some change. And, you know, that's just, you know, if you, if the rates go up like that, that can equal like taking a full turn out of your sale proceeds, you know, so if you think you're selling for 7x, you're selling for 6x if you have that much of a, or even less if you have that much of an actual capital gain. And of course, if you've purchased a dealership and you still have a 
high basis in it, in it you're not going to suffer that, you know, that high of a tax. But yeah, when we do it, when we work with a seller, the calculation they always want to know is what am I going to walk with after tax? Yep. So it has a major impact on their thinking. And um, so I don't know if it will cool the market coming up. If there is a big change, it could just increase the prices. I mean, a lot of dealers are like, hey, I want the same amount of money in my pocket. So I just want more for my business. So that is the big anomaly is what will the tax piece look like in 2022? How will that affect the sellers? Because if they believe that, hey, all I got to do is wait till the midterms and see if we can get the taxes, the capital gains changed back or wait for a new administration. You know, it may put a lot of people on soak if they think they've got to pay twice the amount of capital gains tax, you know, during this administration. Yeah. And uh, like you said, could really, uh, if you're, if you're close to it, maybe you just think I want to, I'll lock this in while the, while the rates are manageable. If, if you believe that it won't be (laughs) retroactive. So how hard is it to agree on, you know, projections of future profitability? I mean, the dealers are dealerships are so profitable right now. Vehicles are selling, uh, you know, per vehicle profits has to be a record high. And yet, you know, the buyers and the sellers know that that's not how it's going to be two years from now, three, four years from now, let alone, you know, 10. Uh, yeah. is, is it, how, how's everybody trying to grapple with what's a, what's a fair run rate for anybody? Well, I mean, the first thing every buyer says is I'm not paying on COVID profits. So it really comes down to what are the COVID profits and what does COVID actually do to profitability long-term, like you and I spoke about earlier was, you know, because of the lack of supply of vehicles, it's increasing the supply of buyers. So there's going to be some holdover. So it'll probably create a very strong 2022 when, you know, there'll be more cash in the market. There'll be more cars come out. So I think that 2022, right now, you're going to see a lot of, profitability just because dealers are able to get a lot more money and a lot second sticker where they never did that before. They pay less for the trades. They control the deal. You know, they have lower expenses, all of those sorts of things. You know, you get into 2022 when the supply increases, supply increases, you're going to have a lot of customers out wanting to buy cars, but you'll have a lot more competition. We'll see the grosses go down, but we may see a sustained, you know, a really strong volume through 2022. So it creates an argument, you know, is it really COVID profits? How long am I going to, you know, are we going to stay on 2019 profits as the baseline for a multiple, you know, so there's a lot of pushing and shoving. And I can tell you bigger buyers, they're not paying for COVID profits. And if you made, you know, I'm just going to use a number. If you made, you're making $5 million a year, now you're making eight in your group, you know, they're not paying on eight. They might pay on six thinking they can grow up, but if you're stuck on the COVID profits, um, you're, you're probably not really, unless you're really, really underperforming, you're probably not going to make a deal. And then, you know, you'll come out of this when multiples or there's less activity in the market. So a lot to think about. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least they're not getting uh, priced as if it was four. So that's probably, <laughs> probably yeah. good. Uh, so we're, we're going to run out of time here. And so I know you brought up the capital gains tax as a big risk. Aside from that, let's say whether an infrastructure deal gets done or not, if capital gains stay where they are, um, what, what could be, how long could this 
uh, boom in in deals uh, last. You know, we're we're starting a new newsletter and a new page in the printed automotive news because there's been so much activity going on. Is higher interest rates the big risk, or is it not until there's an economic downturn? Uh, what other? I think I think I think interest rates create risk. I think that um, you know there's there's naturally going to be some sort of recession. Inflation creates a huge risk. There there comes a tipping point in these dealers' real estate where it starts to affect the goodwill. You know, if you have a you know. Let's just say that that your real estate's twice the twice your net profit or three times your net profit. You know, there's a ratio of comfort that people will buy real estate for. And I worked at I worked on a transaction, you know, with a well-known, you know, auto dealer who's getting back in the business. And there's there is a number they won't pay. And what happens with inflation and a lot of these, you know, larger deals in big markets that they don't want to make that size of a real estate investment. And if the real estate accelerates quicker than the value of the business, the value of the business goes down. So that is a huge risk for auto dealers that are in large, expensive real estates. There will be no buyers for their deals because no one can afford it or wants to be in that real estate. And we see that in like Manhattan and we see it in other cities where, you know, the, the, the dealership model, you know, and imagine that the dealership model comes under pressure as your real estate values continue to accelerate, you can end up with a with a franchise that no one can buy or relocate. So there are a lot of technical reasons for dealers to be very, very critical thinkers about what they're doing and what they're asking. You know, and that's that's what that's what we do. We're we're we hold their hands, become their partners, and we do the critical thinking with them. And if we think they shouldn't sell, we tell them that. And if we think they should sell, we we tell them that or they should wait. So there's a lot of things to think about given all of the the changes that are coming and especially with inflation, you know, coming. So. Absolutely. Well, Mark, you've given us a lot to think about and I really appreciate you taking the time to join us here on daily drive. Now my pleasure. Anytime, Jamie, thank you. Have a great day. Okay. That's daily drive for Monday, June 21st for the latest breaking news online, go to autonews.com. And for a complete library of more than 300 daily drive interviews, go to autonews.com slash daily drive.